Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Today's podcast is part of our clinician series where we take you into the therapy room itself, allowing you to hear and to learn what occurs between therapists and patients. As a clinician myself, I love these podcasts because they allow folks to appreciate the dynamics that take place in the therapeutic interactions, the words and the feelings that can get exchanged, and the process of change that can be transformative. Our returning guest today for this clinician series is Dr. Kathy Shear. Kathy is the founder and director of the Center for Prolonged Grief. She's been studying and treating people with prolonged grief for more than 25 years. Kathy engages deeply in research and teaching, writing, and recently her research contributed to the inclusion of prolonged grief in the forthcoming DSM-5-TR to be released in March 2022. In her work, Kathy developed and tested prolonged grief disorder therapy a short-term strength-based intervention that helps foster adaptation to loss, which will be the focus of our show today. Kathy, welcome back. It's so nice to have you here. Thanks so much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to have you back. I so enjoyed our first show where you were setting kind of a framework for us of understanding grief in a new way with a new definition going from complicated to maybe a better and more clarifying understanding of prolonged. And I want to get into that as a start. I, I want to come back to and get into really the nuts and bolts of your prolonged grief disorder therapy. That's really the focus of our time today, as I mentioned. Sure. But I want, if you could first, to give us kind of a two-minute explanation, differentiating grief that was previously referred to as complicated grief, now being called prolonged grief, and why it's important to have this more clearly distinguished for those going through, and maybe even for those treating, a protracted bereavement process. So it's there are really two main things that are very important about this. The first one is simply the simple fact that everyone will use the exact same name for the same thing. So we have been up until now using different names for the same thing and the same name for different things, and that's very confusing. So now we all mean prolonged grief. And the other important thing is that prolonged grief now has a very specific set of diagnostic criteria that are yeah. now officially in the DSM-5. Actually, they'll be printed in the DSM-5-TR, but they're in the DSM-5 as of now, actually. Okay. They are official criteria. And they include persistent, pervasive yearning, longing, or preoccupation with the person who died, and then at least three of eight other symptoms. And this was very, very carefully researched and discussed and and then tested. And so in these criteria, I can tell you work for the majority of people that we've seen in our treatment studies, not 100%, but almost all of them. So in okay. that sense, it's, it's really the same as what we have been calling complicated grief, but not everyone <laughs> calls yeah. complicated grief the same thing. You cited some of the signs and symptoms, and, and, and I want to I want to talk a little bit about that piece. You know, in our last show, you shared that the emergence of grief is a natural occurrence to the loss of a loved one. And that grief, and I love this, that grief is the form that love takes when we lose someone. But for those with prolonged grief disorder, the meaning 
of the loss goes much deeper for that person. And I want to talk about that in just a moment, a little bit more deeply, but in terms of its impact, it can include a disruption in one's identity, uh, a marked disbelief about the death itself an avoidance of any reminders of the person, you know, having passed or, or avoidance of emotional pain. Help us understand a few more of those signs and symptoms that help rule in this diagnosis and help us understand what's going on for the person experiencing this level of grief and what may be going on for them that's got them experiencing it so deeply. So basically the other symptoms include other forms of intense emotional pain like sadness, guilt, anger, any any real intense emotions, a difficulty moving forward in their own life, engaging in things that matter to them or with other people. And along with that, often a, a sense of emotional numbness and often a feeling as a consequence that life has become meaningless and an associated intense loneliness. And people have at least three of those in a very persistent, pervasive kind of way for at least a month. But, you know, it's, it's usually almost always for virtually the entire period that they weren't totally numb since the death. So these are, these are very common kinds of, symptoms that go along with that intense yearning and longing and preoccupation with the person. It's like the the person who died still completely fills the mind of the bereaved person. I appreciate you laying those out that allows us to say, hey, when is what we might call kind of a normal grieving move into a prolonged grieving where we're kind of stuck? And, you know, it seems that we previously labeled what we're referring to now prolonged grief. But what we call the complicated grief is being maladaptive or dysfunctional. But what you're identifying here, and I think importantly reframing for us, is that prolonged experiences that one's encountering in their grief are just a natural part of the grief process for some. And you nicely name these in the literature that I've read as stuck points. And what happens with these stuck points is that they unintendingly derail the process of one adapting to this loss. Share more with us about these stuck points and the importance of seeing them this way. Right. So the loss of someone close is such an overwhelming psychological event that we we really can't wrap our mind around it right in the beginning. And it it is associated with such intense emotions and powerful thoughts that take us away from our everyday life. That's That all happens naturally. And that is what's continuing to happen with prolonged grief. So it's not very different. It's just the it's the persistence of this. And so you have to ask, why does it persist? And the reason why we believe that it persists, and there's there's good evidence to support this, is that some of the ways that we initially respond that we need to kind of relinquish over time don't get relinquished. And what are those? So the, the first one of those that happens to virtually everyone is a sense of disbelief. I mean, someone who we love, who's been with us for whatever period of time, and now suddenly isn't there, it's unbelievable. It's literally unbelievable. We can't wrap our mind around it. So that takes a while. But over time, we do usually, we do usually um, find a way to accept it. And we also protest, we say no, you know, everyone says no. And then right. we, we start thinking all kinds of alternative scenarios, counterfactual thinking, we call that, but 
alternative mm-hmm. scenarios, of different ways that this could have happened so the person didn't die or didn't die in this way. And in addition to having a strong need for the people that we love for them to kind of take care of us or be there for us, we also feel a very strong impulse to be there for them. Mm-hmm. And when they die, it, it feels like we failed them, whether we have had anything to do with the death or not, we feel like we failed them. So we we often have a sense of guilt, or sometimes we feel like we failed them because someone else didn't do the right thing, so they were angry about that. And then we want to avoid the the intensity of the experience we're having. So we, you know, we, we engage in a lot of different kinds of avoidance. Some of it is avoidance of reminders that they're gone, and some of it is avoidance of doing the things that we used to do with them. And then others is avoiding changing anything we used to do. So it, it sort of goes both ways. So these are the kinds of things we have survivor guilt. A lot of that's a very natural response, but it kind of holds us back from moving forward in our own lives, as does a kind of a separation dread or separation anxiety, a feeling of not wanting to move forward in our own lives because of without that person, it seems so empty or it seems like we can't really manage without them. And and then all of this, it, it kind of conspires to keep us away from our lives now. So that means keeping us away from ourselves and what we really care about. It means keeping us away from our past. It means keeping us away from our future and from other people, importantly from other people who also can have a hard time with us. So there's all of this is what conspires actually to keep us from moving forward in our life or adapting to the loss from, from what we talked about before when accepting the reality and restoring our own capacity for well-being and thriving. It's hard because the path to accepting the reality and and then, like you're saying, moving forward with our potentials and life going on requires us to go through a process. There's, you know, that old saying, when one door closes, another door opens, Mm -hmm. but that's not quite right. The saying really is when one door closes, another door opens, but there's hell in the hallway. And I think oftentimes what we're talking about here is that hell in the hallway is the things that I do to protect myself, some of these stuck points that are actually maybe my best ability to tolerate something that is just so overwhelming that I... um, You get stuck. You got emotional. Is that what happened? Yeah. I mean... Honestly, Graham, it happens to me as well. I, I, I totally get it. It happens to everyone in a way, but I think, you know, acknowledging this is is something that is maybe a good, an especially good idea in this context, because it's one of the things that holds therapists back, actually, from working with grieving people. Yeah, I, I, uh, I appreciate that. Um... And we, we can't be afraid to experience our emotions in a grief yeah. context. Really, we can't. Because, you know, I can't tell you the number of people who've come to me saying, it's such a relief to talk to you because I can talk to you. I'm, I'm always having to feel afraid of upsetting a therapist. Yeah. And so, and, and the therapist, actually, they will redirect people because of that, because they because we are all uncomfortable with it. And it's not that I'm confident that I'm never going to feel upset. It's that I've come to terms with it. I, I kind of had to, to do this work. Sure. Really. Yeah. So. I lost my dad hmm. two months ago. Oh my gosh. 
and uh, it was a uh, it was a uh, really is ninety one, and it was a good ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the best possible ending, I think. Uh, you know, you could have even though it was a seven day period. It was a uh, a wonderful seven day period, mm-hmm. and. I think what we had a chance to do that was so helpful was to process it in process to 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 talk about it to you know as a family and friends be with it and lean into it with him help usher him into a you know a good ending and help usher us into that loss coming up it was very meaningful so as we're talking about you know this uh this lost piece you're right. You don't uh, anticipate fully what it's going to mean to you mm-hmm. until you're there mm-hmm. and you can't. And then you're, you know, sitting with it and, and ideally, you know, not sitting alone, which is what you're encouraging, not to, not to sit with these alone, but to find a way to bring these experiences to a conversation level you know, with a therapist or with some friends to see if these things can be moved through so they don't kind of (laughs) reach those stuck points. So this loss for me is still pretty fresh, but so meaningful. Uh, So those going through a loss process, it's, it's just a lot to contain. And and while it's normal and, and it's an expression of the love that we had for the person, it, it is a heavy burden at times. And it's a lot to carry. And sometimes we don't know how to sort through it. In fact, I was thinking, you know, folks that, you know, that we're talking about that want to try and, you know, avoid any reminders of the loss, or there, there's still this disbelief that the death actually happened, or any, the avoidance of any loss related emotions. How do folks with all of these, you know, tendencies and behaviors, how do they find themselves coming into treatment with you? So I would say they're in two ways. One is early on. So there are, there are a group of people who early on will seek help for grief because it's so unfamiliar to them. The feelings are so, they catch them off guard and they, in in the middle of doing something else and it's very disconcerting and they think maybe there's something wrong. And so they come and they say, how am I supposed to grieve? You know, am I grieving yes. right? Basically, they want to know that they're grieving right. So they basically need a kind of a check-in. And what I usually do, of course, is, is just kind of walk them through this way of understanding grief that we've already talked about, Good. which is often, you know, really helpful to them. And, and make the point that this is a unique journey for every individual who starts it and you know every individual who loses someone and so there's no way to tell them how to do it but just these general principles so that's one way they come and the the other way interestingly for people with prolonged grief they usually come because someone else Mm -hmm. has pushed them to do that they usually come because they don't know what else to do and people around them are saying you've got to do something and they kind of feel that way themselves but they don't come expecting anything actually so it's either someone else is pushing them or they're feeling badly about someone else that they want to be able to take care of you know they have another child if if maybe a child has died or someone has died and they have a child to take care of or or someone that they really care about and they feel like they're letting that person down really good so someone comes in they're finally kind of at your door at your center for prolonged grief and coming into the work with you 
Walk us through what you're doing in terms of welcoming them in, any assessments you folks do, how you're directing them to understand and kind of share this process. Walk us through it. So again, we welcome them and thank them for coming and tell them that we we think that they made a really good decision to do so. And then very often what happens is they say, well, this is not me. You know, I'm, I'm not me. I'm not myself. And right. I'm feeling so out of control. And I'm sorry that I'm so emotional. And then we say, well, you know, there's nothing to apologize for. And, and of course, you're feeling a lot of pain. This is the most painful thing that any human can experience. Normalizing it and, and helping them feel comfortable talking about it basically talking about themselves also and i always start people vary with respect to this but i personally always start by talking about the person you know sort of saying i know this is the most important thing in your life but i i want to get to know you a little bit first and you know go into really a more or less standard kind of assessment that i would do for anybody who came to see me however I do pay special attention when I'm working with grief to include in my discussion with the person a uh, discussion of their of their relationships, their early childhood relationships and important relationships, not in a lot of depth, but you know, sort of who is it that's been there for you when things have not been going so well and and who is it that encourages you to do things and grow and learn in your life? That those basic questions. Those are attachment theory questions nice. and they really are very informative. So I always include those. I always also include some exploration of things that they care about, their interests and their values in life, and also their accomplishments and their achievements, what they're proud of. And of course, who else is in their life now? And mm. and so we have a kind of a of an outline of the kinds of things that we like to make sure that we cover in an assessment of grief. That's the basics. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. What you're talking about right there, I know that your approach here is what we would you refer to as a short-term strength-based approach. Right. And it sounds like starting out with getting to know the person is sounds like it's kind of reminding them of the resources they've developed in their life, maybe some of the attachments that they have, the things they've accomplished, things they're proud of, to kind of broaden a perspective within the context of this loss. Exactly, Graham. That's so well put. 
that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, I love that. Kind of that reminder piece. So folks are coming in, you're talking in this ways. How do you begin to kind of usher them into and kind of shepherd them into maybe uh, kind of directing some conversation around and exploring who the person was, what the loss means? Talk about that next set of steps. So that's exactly what we do. So we talk about their life for a period of time. And at some point when we've, you know, we've gotten a pretty good idea of the person, we ask them for permission really to shift gears and talk about the person who died. Tell me a little about them. So that's the, that's the entrance is to talk about them. And by the way, someone with prolonged grief almost always really likes to talk about the person who died. They don't like to talk about their death, But they do like to talk about the person who died. And for the most part, when someone has gotten to that point of prolonged grief, other people in their life are shutting them down Mm. when they just try to say that, you know, whenever, whenever they try to remember the person, the person will say, listen, you know, I know this person was important to you, but you've got to start paying attention to other things too. And that's very painful. So when you ask them to talk about the person that's very, very helpful to them also. When you put it like that, what I really love is that, you know, here's somebody who's just really stuck in this grief in a prolonged way, but the person they lost is someone that they really loved, likely they're proud of. Exactly. This is somebody who meant something and you're saying, hey, let's lean into that. Yeah, exactly. How does that go? So that usually goes well. And if anything, you kind of have to, again, you have to make some kind of comment about, you know, whatever you've been hearing, you want to, you know, you want to be actively listening. And so you're going to, you're going to interact with the person, validate, support, whatever. But at some point, you're, you're also going to be a guide. So you're going to, again, say, you know, I would really like to spend a lot more time talking with you about this person, something like that, whatever, you know, whatever really fits in the time. But, but I do want to hear a bit about what happened. So what happened? You know, what happened to them? How did they die? What happened to them? Something like that. When you've moved into it in this way, the person is usually ready to tell you something about it. They won't tell you necessarily all the details. They won't mm-hmm. love to talk about it. They might get very, very emotional talking mm-hmm. about it. That's would be expected. Whatever. We, we, you know, we want them to do that. Again, are going to validate, support, empathize, whatever. And then you're going to say, well, you know, now let's talk a little about how things have been for you since this death, which might be decades. I mean, it's sometimes it yes. is, but yeah. you know, it's, it's at least a year, right? So, you know, what have things been like for you? I'd like to hear, and I'm going to ask you about just the stuck points in just a moment as yeah. and how you help people identify them. And, but what I love that you're saying there is as you're encouraging them to say, Hey, can you tell me about how the person passed or what the process was that they went through or the loss? Mm-hmm. You know, it's in those moments where someone's been so afraid to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you're kind of emotionally spotting them. You know, they're lifting something very heavy Mm -hmm. and something very challenging and and they don't think they can do it themselves. But when you come alongside them in that way and kind of emotionally spot them, it's almost like they're able to talk about it in a new way and kind of take in and hold that through conversing about it with your support and be able to hold that and journey with that in a different way, can't they? Graham, I love the way you put things. I think, would you like to come and work at the center with us? (laughs) (laughs) You're very kind. So yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. And then, you know, and then we're going to move into just 
first we're just going to listen. You know, we, we do a lot of active listening in this therapy from a, an overall framework. And so we're just going to listen to how they present their lives moving forward. But we're, what we're going to be listening for is that process of adapting and what's maybe standing in the way. Some, what are some of the, the stuck points that you mentioned that are maybe standing in the way? And again, we aren't going to we're not going to lean on those very much at all in this particular, this is our first session with someone and we're really just interested in, in hearing their experience. Basically that's, that's primarily what we're doing, but we're listening with our therapist ear to where there might be a little bit of stuckness because, you know, the other thing I should mention about people who have experienced a major attachment loss. Another very natural thing is that we are not the most open that we are in our lives to other people, right? It it kind of like we feel a little bit like gun shy or burned, you know. Uh, So we, we don't really, you know, we're a little bit in a place that you might think of as attachment avoidant which is to say that we're we're kind of feeling like we have to rely on ourselves we're a little bit suspicious of other people's being able to understand us people don't feel like they don't expect us to understand and in some way we we can't understand each other fully in this particular space because it is very unique in other words we don't want to be too quick to try to work with the person. We have to develop a relationship with them before we start to really work with them, even though we're working in a relatively short-term way with, you know, with four months. I mean, these yes. days that's not short-term, but. Right. So, so in, in essence, you're kind of, you're coming alongside them. You're just kind of gently nudging, mm-hmm. but you're letting them kind of, kind of determine the course that they need to go with some guiding questions or some nudging that allows them to open up more and more. Yeah, but I'm not even sure we're we're nudging. I mean, I think we're just listening at this point. We're listening. We're we're kind of trying to open up possibilities for them to to tell us what they're experiencing right now. The next session. So I'm talking about session one right now. Session two, we're going to do a lot of psychoeducation. A lot of what again we did last time about what is grief and where does it come from and how does it relate to love and all that and um and then and then what is also what is prolonged grief in the way that we just described it and then and as we do that then we're going to go back and either say you mentioned the fact that it's been three years and you still can't believe that this happened well that's you know that is a very natural thing but that's one of those things that's going to get you a little stuck naturally get you a little stuck or of course i wouldn't you know you mentioned you would never ever go to the grocery store that you shopped in for this person. And I can understand that. But that's, again, that's that's the kind of thing that people will avoid, but you probably, over the long run, you're not going to want to always forever avoid that. But you, you're going to start to pull in those, mm-hmm. what we call stuck points or derailers or whatever you yeah. want to think of them as, as examples, maybe with a suggestion This is session two now when we're talking about psychoeducation. And then we're going to move into, here's the plan for the next 16 weeks now that we're here. You know, we're we're back and forth thing and we're listening and we're asking, you know, we're answering any questions. And then we're going to say, okay, so would you like me to lay it all out for you? This is what, this is the plan. And here's how we're going to move through the sessions. And here are the kinds of things that I'm going to ask you to do in between our sessions and... 
you know, in that sense, this is kind of CBT-like. I mean, there, there are a lot of elements of what we call prolonged grief disorder therapy or PGDT now um, yes, uh-huh. that are very CBT-like, but there also are components of interpersonal psychotherapy. There are components of actually motivational interviewing. There are a lot of components of motivational interviewing. There are components even of psychodynamic psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. So there there are strategies and and sort of ways of working that come from different therapy models. But they're really? all organized around the the framework of the way we understand grief and loss. So someone gets to come in and and over the course of time they're seeing that, hey, it's feeling safer and more trusted that I can begin to lean into and talk about some of these things with you and and yet I get stuck on something. I don't maybe want to go to the same grocery store that we would go to every Friday evening together after work, or I don't want to go to that movie theater anymore, or I can't go into that room because it's just too triggering for me. Okay. How are you helping folks through those types of avoidant behaviors? So we're going to be doing a set of seven very specific procedures, and they're going to be helping with seven actual we, what we sometimes call healing milestones or we call themes of this 16-week treatment and, and one thing i didn't mention that we end session one with is introducing a grief monitoring mm. procedure which entails it's very simple because again we have to honor the fact that people who are grieving intensely don't have much extra time in their lives or much extra energy to do anything. So we we try to keep what we ask them to do, especially early on, kind of minimalistic, but we also want them to start working with us. So what we do is we introduce grief monitoring and we do it in the following way. We ask people to take just five minutes, literally five minutes at the end of each day, look back over the day and Try to think about their grief experience, the intensity of their grief, which is usually the emotional intensity, really, but the intensity of their grief back over the course of the day and what what was a time when it was the highest. So Mm -hmm. it might have been high much of the day, but to try to identify, if they can, a time when it kind of spiked up a little bit and write down a number from one to ten and then a very brief comment about what, what happened, what was happening at that time. A common time would be waking up in the morning. You wake up in the morning when you have prolonged grief, and at first you you know you feel fine, and then all of a sudden you know right. the memory comes back, and so then the grief intensity will spike up, and you just say woke up in the morning. That's all you wrote, and then you look back over the for a time when the grief was at its lowest, and do the same thing. You know what, what was happening at the time, and then you kind of take a big picture you know, overview of the whole day and just say, was it a high, medium or low day, low grief day? And you, you can put a number on that or just say high, medium or low. You do that every day. And then when the person comes in that second session, we're going to spend a little bit of time just looking at that log that they've kept because we, we've asked them to do that to write it down and then just noticing how often they've done it so some people do it every single day some people do it once and they do it every time in between and we you know we basically are very supportive of whatever they've they've done and then we talk about it a little bit which I, I don't want to get into too many of the details because uh-huh. we, we won't get through this, but sure. that's that's basically what we do. And we're going to do that every single session 
throughout the whole. So that's the grief monitoring. And what we're looking for there is helping people understand and accept grief. So that's the first of these themes. And that's going to run through the whole treatment. We're going to be always looking for ways that people are not accepting their grief, because sometimes Mm -hmm. that's a problem. And also, we're going to start to build in ways to manage those really painful emotions, because that's sometimes what is problematic about the grief. So that's the second of these themes is managing emotional pain. Then session three, we're going to actually encourage this person to bring someone in to that. So we're going to have a visitor in session three. So that's, you know, that's another thing that we're doing as we're starting to build this this therapy because one of the big important things that we need to do is to help people strengthen their natural relationships. And almost everyone with prolonged grief disorder actually has people in their life. And I mean, there yeah. are exceptions, but almost everyone has someone that really cares about them. And yeah. those people are almost always feeling very frustrated and they don't know what to do anymore and they often have either withdrawn or become kind of harsh but they're just left feeling helpless ultimately of how do i how do i help so you're helping kind of maybe reconnect them exactly in ways that can be helpful the end of session two after the psychoeducation most of it is psychoeducation we actually bring in what we call aspirational goals work which is it's actually a a takeoff on motivational interviewing personal goals work but this is we call it aspirational goals because we want it to be a long-term life goal that extends well beyond the therapy itself so basically what we do at at the end of that session right before the end of that session is we ask people if we can shift gears again we get permission to do that and then we say that if if we could wave a magic wand and their grief was at a manageable level what would they want for themselves? And yeah. often we have to add that we know that their grief is not at a manageable level and that's why they're here. And we're not trying to say that we, you know, we can do that, but we want them, it's an imaginary exercise. We have to have a vision, don't we? Even if we don't think it's possible, if, if we can just cast one with them in that process, it's something to kind of hold up. I think it's a very important piece that holds some hope, even if in the moment they just feel so entrenched and encompassed by whatever, so you know, they're they're part of the grieving. But to have that have that cast, I think, is an important piece. Right, and it, and it's again, it's kind of like what you said before. It's really it's way a way of me saying to the person, I know that you care about things, and I yes. know you have values, even if you have no idea what they are right now, because that's the usual answer. Because what's amazing is that people in the second session of this therapy, when they're really really basically being flooded with grief sometimes people do answer that question mm. but but most of the time they don't most of the time they say i have no idea i don't yeah. i don't think i care about anything anymore things like that but i've still said it and i don't give up either after mm-hmm. that when they say that okay you know i understand completely but is it okay if i ask you this again as we move forward or would you be willing to just try for a couple of minutes a day during the next week to just try to think about something that you might possibly have 
cared about before that you might care about going you know whatever I can get them to do the smallest little thing I just you know I try to keep going with this and I am this is another thing I'm going to keep going with throughout the whole therapy and I will say that I've worked with people very successfully who never answered that question mm-hmm. but we still talked about it each time yeah. and I think, yeah, yeah I, I see that as an important thing because with the grief life almost like with blinders can become very narrow and it sounds like what you're gently doing there is kind of trying to kind of nudge open just a wee bit or help them just begin to think what might it be like if some of the blinders might be opened back up and what might life possibly have in it that we could bring it back. And just, just to name that, I think is a cool thing. I know we're I just sensitive to our time and I wish we could just keep talking, but I, I want to get to something that's pretty exciting, this online tutorial. But before we do, may I ask, as folks are going through this therapy with you and in the 16 weeks and the strength-based, the short-term work that you're laying out for us in terms of the steps, what are some of the results that you're seeing in people's lives? What are, what are they walking out with? For the most part, they would say completely changed, okay. completely changed that they feel even when they don't have a hundred percent, you know, and no one does, by the way, I mean, grief is, grief is a long-term it's permanent, like you said before. It's permanent, and it, and you know, and it takes it takes time to to yeah. unravel all of this. So we're not looking for that, but but people will say they they feel just very differently about themselves and about the person who died. And it's not that they've put them behind them. It's just that they feel a right. different kind of sense of connection to that person, yeah. a much more positive connection, one that can can be enriching of their lives and it's always sad there's always going to be some sadness in it there's always going to be some of those emotions but and in terms of our research you know we have done three major studies of this this therapy and and the results were pretty amazing and we always compared uh, prolonged grief disorder therapy to a proven treatment for depression a really good treatment for depression because that's what is usually um, kind of confused with grief. And often people have both, you know, they do have grief and depression. But what we found is that the depression treatments will help the depression component, but they don't help the grief. Got it. But the grief symptoms, we had an overall 70% response rate to this treatment compared to a 30% response rate to very good to interpersonal psychotherapy for depression, which is, you know, has a grief focus and it's a yes. very good treatment for depression. I think they're starting to modify it now and, and it's possible that you can modify IPT enough so that it looks enough like yes. um, this treatment and that's great. I mean, I think people should do the kinds of treatments that they're most comfortable with and that they, they like to do in terms of therapists, but you do need to have these different components. I think you do need to focus on people's being able to adapt to a loss in these important ways and and also do something to help the stuck points. Speaking of the treatment approaches as you have today, you shared with us offline before we came on today, this new online tutorial that can help folks learn about this treatment. This can be both for therapists and for those going through uh, a grief process. Give us just kind of the skinny on that, would you? 
Sure. So th this is an online tutorial, it's called, that was developed by the Center for Telepsychology in Wisconsin that's headed up by my colleague Kenneth Kobach, who's a psychologist who has been doing, developing these tutorials for a number of years now, and he's really, really good at it. And, and the two of us work together to produce a 10-module nice. tutorial that each, it takes about a half an hour to go through each of those modules. I would think that people probably will kind of go back over them, but there mm -hmm. it's very, very interactive. It, it includes some video material and some animations and all kinds of things like that. It's it's really pretty interesting. Congratulations. That's terrific. Yeah. So we're in and then the, there's a there's a kind of mirror one, a parallel one for the bereaved people going through this with the therapist. We we don't actually encourage them to do it alone in part because of what we were talking about earlier we really it's so much more meaningful to have someone by your side who understands Amen. what you're experiencing and so to help witness you know that, that that process i think that's a very healing component to this yeah in addition uh to that tutorial and as we begin to kind of circle back to uh kind of a closing for today what are some resources that you might give our listeners regarding complicated grief therapy and also resources for the center for prolonged grief Right. So we do have a lot of resources at our center. And that's really basically the best place to then go out from there as well. But that's the Center for Prolonged Grief at Columbia School of Social Work. Now we changed it from complicated right. grief. You, you can get there either way, actually. But we have on that site, we have a series of 10 videos also of a therapy that I did with someone who came and agreed to be videotaped for nice. training purposes and then wanted that disseminated more so. So we, we have those training tapes available. We also have a manual. We have regular workshops that we do that we offer two or three times a year. Um, that's They're being held this year on both coasts. They were Good. up until now. They've been on the East Coast, but now they're on both coasts. And we have a, a lot of different kinds of handouts and and some um, rating scales that that can help people, therapists who like to use rating scales and such. Yeah, it really is a wonderful site. I mean, we're gonna have this up on our webpage as well, where people can kind of go in. I, um, you know, I know we've said that the landscape in our lives changes following a loss, but there's life, as you said in our first show, and you're saying again today. But there's life to be lived after the loss, and. And I know your model is uniquely helping folks grieve in a productive and in a growth-oriented way. And you're clearly holding up this belief that we can find a path after a loss that can allow us to continue to grow and have joy in our life while continuing to carry and relate to the one that we've lost in a very meaningful way. So this is some awesome work you're doing. Congrats with the uh, DSM-5TR admission of the prolonged grief. That's a huge process, I know. Yeah. And uh, I'm so thankful that you had a chance to be with us today. Thanks for being on our show. Thanks so much, Graham. It's a pleasure. It's great to Thanks have you Thanks for all you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Kathy and me today. We always appreciate having you with us. And I want to remind you that this episode with its resources and all of our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. 
So go check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us. And we'll look forward to having you next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.